Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 30th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. I'm Jack Nierad. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris, good to see you. How are things going? Going well, Jack. It's finally starting to warm up a little bit here. It almost feels like spring uh, is arriving early, though I'm sure that uh, I'll be proven (laughs) wrong here very soon. How about you? Yeah, it could happen. You know, March is a strange month. It could be tons of snow or just uh, wonderful, depending on where you are and just how it goes. It's an exciting week in the car industry. The Insurance Institute for Highway Safety has just announced its top safety picks and its top safety pick pluses. And we'll have the details for you. Toyota has announced a fascinating alternative to electric vehicles that could be revolutionary or it could be a flash in the pan. We'll tell you more about that. Kind of cool stuff. I'd like to think it could work. Elon Musk is looking to disrupt the supercar market with an all-new Tesla Roadster and The Roadster, of course, was the first Tesla model launched so very long ago. Now he's ready to renew it, and we'll have more for you on that. I think he's going to incorporate some stuff from SpaceX, or at least that's the claim. So there's a lot to talk about. You know, you're shaking your head like, hmm, just BS. What do you think? (laughs) I don't know. I think uh, I'm skeptical. You know, it's been seven years since we started hearing about this car, so... Yeah, we'll see. Let's do a little business here. America on the Road is brought to you by drivingtoday.com, yourtestdriver.com, emlancy.com, the publisher of my latest book, Dance in the Dark, and Mercury Insurance. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at drivingtoday.com slash autoinsurance. That's drivingtoday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. Well, as you listeners know, Chris lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. Each week we get together to talk about cars, the car industry, how you can save some money on your cars. Uh, What vehicle are you going to be talking about this week, Chris? I drove the 2024 Ford Maverick XLT Hybrid. It's a very unique uh, small pickup truck, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, well, I was driving a vehicle I liked a lot, too, the 2024 Lexus TX. This was in 500H form, so hybrid form. It was an F-Sport all-wheel drive. It has a lot of names to it. This week, our special guest is Frank Hanley. He's Senior Director of Auto Benchmarking at J.D. Power, and he's going to be telling us about which are the most reliable and dependable vehicles in the market. So a lot coming up on America on the Road. We have a lot of show for you this week, so stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague. This is Jack Nierad back with you. And we have some interesting auto news for you this time around. The Insurance Institute for Highway Safety has uh, named its top safety award. So that's worthwhile. Um, Let's dive into that, Chris. I mean, they do it kind of on two levels. They have their top safety picks and then they have their top safety pick pluses. 
uh, hard to do the plural of that, but uh, they do. You want to die? Let's dive into the pluses because those are the the ultimate, I guess, in safety here. And uh, you know, here it's just a smattering. There's 71 vehicles, so I, I don't want to read off a list of 71 vehicles. But here's some of the prime ones, uh, and uh, some you can get fairly inexpensively, like the Acura Integra, the Toyota Prius, Honda Accord. Uh, and then there's the all-electric Hyundai Ioniq 6 are all in top safety pick plus range. Those are pretty darn good vehicles, aren't they, from uh, many points of view? Yeah, I was going to say, these are uh, kind of the whole package on these cars. You know, you get the top safety pick plus plus a, an engaging driving experience. And, you know, a lot of these have uh, very attractive styling, too. Yeah. Uh, the Genesis GV60 is also on that list. Uh, that's certainly a vehicle we like a lot. Uh, the luxury uh, electric, I guess, from... Uh, from uh, Genesis. And then the Ford Explorer and Kia Telluride. I was kind of surprised actually to see Explorer on this list, given the fact that, you know, that platform is uh, kind of aged and they're about to replace it, uh, or at least to give it a, quite a revamp. Uh, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think Ford has added uh, some safety equipment over over the years. You know, this has been, what was it, 2020 for the recent uh, most recent generational update, but they've added uh, to it since then. So uh, I think good on them for, for keeping up. Yeah, good stuff. There's a lot of uh, SUVs that made the list, including the Tesla Model Y, BMW X3, and the Acura MDX. I mean, those are all good choices. You know, <laughs> kind of a variety there, isn't there? Yeah, I think it's important to note. So a couple of things here, it just struck me with these uh, awards. They keep testing throughout the year. So this uh, this list will probably, it will grow uh, as we keep going. Uh, and the second thing is these vehicles that have earned the top safety pick plus specifically uh, have met the criteria of the toughened, they said toughened criteria, but they have updated the crash tests uh, to use more force and with different things to account for passenger safety. So these are really uh, really the safety ve safest vehicles because they're meeting that tougher criteria. Yeah. It's an interesting organization, the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. It's funded by the insurance in uh, uh, industry, kind of in some ways works in, in the, for the benefit of that industry, <laughs> but I think has become a kind of a fairly standard uh, safety uh, organization, safety uh, assessment organization. So good on them and good for those award winners. Yeah, absolutely. Vehicles to look at. Well, this was, this struck me as fascinating, this idea from Toyota as an EV alternative, um, because EVs are out there really to um, work on climate change or to counteract climate change. So carbon dioxide is a big thing. And if they don't put out any carbon dioxide, they also don't take any carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, really. This is what the engines that uh, Toyota's talking about will do. They'll actually vacuum <laughs> some carbon from the atmosphere. I mean, that's kind of a revolutionary thought, isn't it, Chris? Yeah, the way they've designed it, it's also very interesting, right? It doesn't take any um, energy to, to do its work. It's got this uh, filtration system that then sequesters the carbon in some sort of liquid. I'm far from a scientist, so I'm not going to dig into it too deeply. But I think, if I'm not mistaken, it can work with the hydrogen fuel cell systems, hybrids, and even gasoline engines. This is something they could install uh, on almost any system. Yeah, quite interesting. I guess they're trying it out on a, a GR Corolla which should be close to your heart since you own a GR Corolla. I mean, uh, they're using it on the racetrack. They have a, a hydrogen-burning engine that uh, emits just a, a tiny bit of carbon dioxide, but apparently 
sucks more carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere than it's putting out. So it is not just neutral, uh, carbon neutral, but carbon negative. Uh, and I guess to, to those who believe that uh, carbon dioxide is the boogeyman and we, <laughs> we have to uh, you know, get it out of the atmosphere, and there are plenty of folks that believe that, um, this could be the answer to that question. Yeah, it's yet another step from Toyota showing um, how thoughtful they can be about this. You know, the the statement that really struck me, and this is nothing new from them, is, you know, one electric vehicle, the materials to make that will make, uh, I forget, what is it, 30 plug-in hybrids or 60, you know, and so on. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and the carbon reductions from that transition is much greater than just that one electric vehicle. So, um, and this on top of it, assuming that this actually comes to market, uh, would be would be even greater. So yeah. I'm excited to see what, what they come up with next. They've been singing that song for a, a lot of years about hybrids and, and plug-in hybrids being much uh, better answer to this problem than electric vehicles. Uh, they've also been kind of slapped around by, by uh, many people in the press for, for being slow to have uh, pure electric vehicles, battery electric vehicles. And uh, the ones in the market right now are, are not particularly highly regarded, are they? No, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> That's a way to put it, I guess. Well, uh, let's talk about a happier news from Tesla. Uh, Elon Musk is again pounding the drum about the Tesla Roadster. I mean, <laughs> it's interesting the way he goes about putting things out there. I mean, a new version of the Roadster, I think, was first uh, announced in 2017, we haven't seen it in the ensuing, I guess that's seven years, if I'm counting correctly, something on that order. Um, and yet now he's uh, pounding the drum again about this thing and uh, touting the fact that it will have uh, some SpaceX developed pieces to it or uh, themes to it in, in any case. Uh, what are your thoughts? You know, I shook my head earlier when, when you mentioned that. And, you know, I don't think that's really what I was shaking my head about. My, I was shaking my head about the, the timeline here, right? Because they announced the car in 2017 uh, and then in, it was due for 2020. And in 2021, they said, well, we'll shoot for 2023. Uh, well, now here we are in 2024. And they're saying, well, now 2025. And they delayed it the first time so that they could focus on higher volume, profitable models. Uh, and guess what they're getting ready to start doing? They're going to start rolling out a, a lower cost, hopefully higher volume model that they're going to want to focus on. So I just don't know or I can't see this being something uh, that shows up next year. I'm happy to admit that I'm wrong if it does, um, but I'm skeptical. Yeah. Well, it might be one of those things where it's just to get the Tesla name out there. I don't know why well, you absolutely have to get the Tesla name out there, but you know, certainly Tesla has survived without any advertising at all. In fact, Elon is very uh, adamant about how successful his company has been without any kind of media presence, uh, paid media presence at all. Uh, and they kind of go their own way. I mean, uh, Cybertruck is now coming to market uh, kind of with the same kind of timeline of introduced long ago, uh, we're wondering what's going to happen with it and nothing much happens with it. And then uh, finally it comes out and we'll see uh, how it's received. Uh, a lot of people are kind of shocked when they see one on the street. My wife saw one in the wild uh, recently and said, what was that thing? You know, it kind of looks like an armadillo is what, <laughs> what I think she, she said. You know, to give Tesla credit, uh, you know, they did make some changes to the Cybertruck to make it street legal uh, before releasing it. But uh, by and large, the truck that is on the street now is 
you know, it looks very close to what they had on stage that day. And so uh, if they come anywhere close to the specs that they've advertised for the Roadster and the design that they've they've shown off, uh, it, it would be a seriously impressive car. And, and I think Elon Musk actually noted that when he was making this sort of announcement on X slash Twitter uh, earlier today saying that, you know, there are a lot of other exciting things besides the acceleration. So uh, I am actually interested and excited to see it. Uh, just uh, hopefully it actually shows up. Yeah, I mean, I'm fascinated to see it because we see uh, these cars now, these electrics with uh, zero to 60 times of like two seconds, you know, 2.1 seconds. It's like, how much faster can you go zero to 60 and, and you know, actually pilot a vehicle successfully? Probably not much faster than that. Uh, you know, I have some trouble with it sometimes when that kind of acceleration just kind of so disconcerting. So we'll have to see how, how fast is fast. I guess you, you can't go zero to 60 and faster than zero seconds, can you? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're almost to the point where we start looking at people needing special driver's licenses to handle this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. You wonder what's going to happen on the street. Well, when we come back, we will have two very interesting road test vehicles, including the Ford Maverick Hybrid, um, one of the most, uh, I think, cost-effective vehicles out there these days. And uh, I was driving the Lexus TX 500H F-Sport all-wheel drive. So stay with us for that. A very cool three-row vehicle from Lexus. Thanks so much for being with us on America on the Road. And stay with us. We'll be right back right here. Welcome back to America on the Road with Christine. Red back with you for road test time and kind of very dissimilar vehicles we have this time around. You had a small vehicle, very inexpensive, one of the least expensive vehicles I think on the market these days uh, in the Ford Maverick. I was driving a fairly expensive, kind of moderately expensive luxury SUV, but let's talk about that Maverick first, Chris. Tell us all about it. Yeah, you know, the Ford Maverick was uh, one of the biggest hits of uh, a couple of years ago when it debuted, and it's still kind of hard to to go out and buy one. I don't think you can, uh, many dealers don't have any on the lot, so you, a lot of people have to go out and order them. But uh, the 2024 Maverick starts at just under $24,000, uh, $24,000 for a pickup truck in 2024, Jack. I mean, that's before destination and taxes, but I mean, come on, that's that's an incredible price. I tested the mid-range XLT trim, which starts at just over 26000 my as-tested price was $32,980. Uh, this is not the most expensive configuration, but we'll get into uh, the value here. But I want to get your opinion. What do you think of these prices? Because, you know, this is not like a, uh, you know, a Ram TRX style muscle truck, but it's definitely more trucking than I need on a daily basis. Yeah, I think there's a lot to like about the Maverick. Uh, my wife refers to trucks like the Maverick as toy trucks. You know, she's more of a likes the big Ram 1500 kind of thing. But uh, I think there's a lot to like about these um, compact trucks that are inexpensive to buy, easy to garage, uh, fairly good fuel economy. In your, your case, probably even better than fairly good fuel economy. Uh, I like them a lot. I think you've got to be a kind of a manly man to pull off a little truck like this. But uh, we've got the, the things to do it, don't we? Yeah, you know, I kind of had the thought that I was going to pull up and be laughed at by some of the guys here because, you know, almost everybody in, in town drives, a lot of people in town drive, you know, heavy-duty pickup trucks. But the, I think the Maverick, it gets some respect. So I think people are, are at least interested in what it is and and, and what it can do. But uh, so as I mentioned, I tested, I tested the mid-range XLT trim. Uh, you can go up to the Lariat trim. It's around $35,000. And then 
um, the hybrid engine is an option for 2024. It used to be the standard setup. So uh, the added cost of that was what brought my truck up to just under 33,000. So uh, it's a 2.5 liter four cylinder engine matched with an electric motor. Combined output is 191 horsepower. Uh, it goes to the front wheels through a continuously variable transmission. Uh, the truck has 17 inch wheels, a 2000 pound towing capacity, uh, 1500 pounds of payload and acclaimed 42 miles per gallon in the city. Jack, for a pickup truck, uh, I think is fantastic. I observed just under 40 uh, in mixed driving. I don't do a lot of highway driving, but there was some of that uh, in there. So all around, I think from the from the powertrain perspective here, uh, is it quick? No. Is it the most powerful pickup truck you can get? Absolutely not. But it is smooth. Uh, Ford did a good job with the hybrid system in this truck. It's quiet. Uh, it's refined. Uh, and if you can live with front-wheel drive, which even in Maine, if you have decent snow tires, you can definitely get away with it. Um, so I would have absolutely no problem buying the hybrid over the full gasoline uh, model for this truck because you can all you can also get all-wheel drive with, with that setup. Jack, have you driven the Maverick hybrid yet? And if so, what do you think about it compared to like the Hyundai Santa uh, Santa Cruz? Sorry, I think it's it's way different than the Santa Cruz. I think it's more utilitarian. It's more truck truck. The Maverick is more... It's just a truck, and I, I think that's fine. I think they've been inventive with the way they've done the interior of the Maverick. I think that's that's pretty cool, and, and at the same time, keeping the costs down. I like I like that. I think that's inventive. Um, I like you know just having an open bed back there opens up all kinds of possibilities in terms of hauling. And like you say, a lot of people don't need a full-size pickup truck uh, just to haul some mulch or pick up stuff at the Home Depot or whatever. Uh, I think there's a lot to like, a ton to like about the Maverick. Yeah, I agree. You know, there's there's plenty of room back there. I did two really robust, I'll call them dump runs, uh, emptying things out of my barn, and it was absolutely fine. And the truck is a little bit lower than a full-size pickup truck. In fact, it's considerably lower than a full-size pickup truck, making it very easy to load and unload. But um, inside, it's got a cloth upholstery. The XLT trim does. You can get synthetic leather, I think, in the Lariat trim. Uh, my truck had the optional uh, interior package, which brought wireless charging and heated front seats. Um, it's a four-door crew cab truck only, Jack, so you can't get a single cab, uh, although that would be very nostalgic to have a single cab uh, Maverick, small truck. But um, the eight-inch touchscreen, you get a Ford Sync 3 system. This is not Sync 4, but Sync 3 is just fine. Uh, the simplicity there makes it easy to use while you're driving. Uh, Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, Bluetooth, Sirius XM radio, and you get a full suite of uh, safety equipment as well. Uh, and my truck had a $650 uh, option package, which brought blind spot monitoring and lane keep assist jack. And all that, I'm going to say this one more time, for thirty-three grand. Um, I was kind of sitting there thinking, man, I wish I hadn't bought a GR Corolla. I should have bought one of these. I probably could have gotten a lot more use out of it. And my wife would certainly have been happier with it. But uh, great truck all around. I think it's one of the better vehicles Ford has built in quite a while. Yeah, I really like it. I mean, some people will complain about front-wheel drive. Uh, it's it's not an issue, or probably not an issue at all, or not an issue, certainly if you're not going to tow anything. And this doesn't have much tow capacity anyway. I, I think if you're looking to tow, you can go up a class, you know, go to yeah. Ranger or something like that, uh, or the, the F-150. But I'm right with you. I think there's a place for that Maverick truck, and, and I like it a lot. I think it would be a lot of fun to have one for a while. Absolutely agree. Well, I was driving a vastly different vehicle, a Lexus TX 500H F Sport all-wheel drive. It's got a lot of nomenclature there, but it is a three-row three uh, SUV from Lexus, something they've really had 
been an absent from their lineup in any real way. I mean, I guess the GX has three rows, but it's it's not nearly as accommodating as the TX. And I think that this plugs up a hole in the marketplace really, really well. I had the opportunity to drive this thing first at the launch, but most recently for a week here in Southern California and then out to the desert for my uh, father-in-law's 90th birthday party. Uh, which wasn't a giant party, but it was fun. And it was the perfect vehicle for that. I had two of my daughters and my wife with me. Uh, you know, I shouldn't say this, but the dog was with us too. <laughs> uh, and uh, it worked out really, really well. Super, super comfortable, quiet. And what struck me about driving it uh, on the Southern California freeways was how much power it had or how much immediate acceleration it, it offers. And I think the hybrid system is responsible for that uh, or partly responsible for that. I mean, certainly it has a, a turbocharged four-cylinder engine. Then it also has electric motor that, that kicks in and so smooth that you don't know, there's no uh, inkling that there are two powertrains going on. It's just absolutely seamless and quiet power. And you know, a lot, a lot of power. I look down uh, frequently, and I would would be going 90 miles an hour without realizing it. And uh, so I was going a little slower than Southern California traffic. Well, <laughs> that's not true. I was going a little bit faster than some of the people in Southern uh, California traffic. It's an all-wheel drive vehicle, as I mentioned. Uh, I think our as-tested price was about seventy-eight thousand dollars. Which, $78,000 is no small piece of change, but at the same time, in the context of luxury three rows with uh, this kind of quiet and this kind of room, I think it's a, a pretty good bargain, really, and uh, can be configured as either a six or seven passenger vehicle. Ours was in six passenger, passenger mode, so uh, you know the daughter and the dog ended up in the, the third row, uh, which was not a bad place for them. They seemed to like that. And it is a very accommodating third row, uh, as opposed to most of them out there. She wasn't complaining about the, the two-plus-hour ride uh, in the third row uh, and keeping the dog calm at the same time. Just a lot of nice touches in this thing, uh, a lot of um, cargo space, 20.2 cubic feet of cargo space, um, much better than in the RXL, <laughs> the late unlamented RXL. Um, <laughs> you know, I, you probably have not had a chance to drive a TX yet, but uh, what are your, what's your overall take given what you know about this vehicle? Yeah, I think I'm surprised it took them this long to to come back out with another three row vehicle, given the popularity of the just the segment itself. Um, but I agree, you know, I think the way I have sat in a Grand Highlander, and I think it's very similar, at least in terms of space to the the TX, if if not uh, identical. And and you know that extra room uh, is very welcome. A third row seat that's actually usable by adults, uh, your daughter and the dog. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's a very big benefit for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the Grand Highlander, and I would think if there's anything to complain about with the TX, it's I don't think there's as much differentiation in terms of interior between the Grand Highlander and the TX as there probably should be, uh, given the fact that the Lexus is a Lexus and, uh, you know, it's premium priced. Uh, if you wanted to get the bargain version, you know, get, get a Grand Highlander with a similar powertrain and uh, you'll probably save yourself a considerable amount of money. Uh, it's got a lot of good stuff, though. 14-inch centrally mounted touchscreen, 
uh, all of the all those kind of things. Um, that system works very very well. Uh, a lot of uh, automatic uh, safety equipment, advanced uh, driver equipment, uh, you know, risk avoidance, all that kind of stuff. Safety stuff is what I'm trying to say uh, <laughs> without using uh, just letters that uh, mean nothing to people. Like ADAS probably doesn't mean a whole lot to a whole lot of people. Uh, but this is a vehicle I like. And, you know, it's a vehicle, certainly, if you have a family and can afford that, you know, 78000 I think it starts, you know, much lower. But if you can afford something between fifty. Five thousand and eighty thousand. I think it's a, a very good vehicle, so certainly something to look at. Yeah, I'm a Lexus fan and a Toyota fan, so I can't wait to drive it. Yeah, well, I, you will be impressed by the power, and it's very, very cool from that point of view, and uh, smooth, smooth, smooth. Uh, much smoother than I am today, I think, Chris. Uh, I'm sure much smoother than my GR Corolla, and probably a lot quieter too. Yeah, well, I, I think there's little <laughs> doubt of that. Uh, well, when we come back, we will have our special guest, who is Frank Hanley. He's Senior Director of Auto Benchmarking at J.D. Power. So if you want to know which cars are reliable and which aren't, he's the guy to talk to. Well, we're going to talk to him. So uh, they've just released their 2024 Vehicle Dependability Study, so he'll tell us all about that. So stay with us for that, and we'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack, right back with you. We have a terrific guest for you, too, talking about a, a topic that I think anybody who drives a car is concerned about, and that is vehicle dependability. We have the absolute expert uh, from J.D. Power on that. Frank Hanley is with us. Uh, Frank, th- thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me, Jack. I appreciate it. Let's talk about dependability uh, uh, just from a 35,000-foot level. I mean, it's pretty important to people, isn't it, still? Yeah, I mean, dependability is still one of the, the most important reasons why people buy cars. I mean, obviously, with with what cars cost anymore, you want to know, you know, what you're spending all that money on is going to last you for a long time. So, you know, this this dependability is, is super important to customers now more so than ever. Yeah, I mean, as cars are more expensive, it seems like more so than ever. And I, I mean, if you're a smart consumer, you're maybe keeping your car a little bit longer, too, right? Yeah, I mean, what we're seeing now is the average age on the vehicle on the road now is, is higher than it's ever been. We're up to, you know, the average age of the vehicle now being 12 years old. So um, people are definitely keeping them longer than they are. Um, and they're on the road longer than they have ever been in the past before. So super important. Let's talk about how J.D. Power tracks dependability. You have a very um, certain way of doing it, right? Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, so what we do is we take and we uh, actually go to the customers. Um, all of J.D. Power's data is customer-based. Um, so we actually go to customers who actually purchase the car, have had the car now for three years, and we actually survey, survey them about any problems they've had with the car during those three years. And it's problems of all types, right? I mean, it could be a problem as large as it stalls you by the side of the road and you have to get a tow truck or something where it's just kind of irritating to you and you go, wow, that's a problem, right? I, and we see a lot of that these days too, don't we? No, for sure. I mean, is is you know the quality has improved on cars. You know, th- there's definitely a change in customers' perspective of what quality is anymore. So, as we see less cars, you know, dying on the side of the road, a lot more things have become more important. So it's not just that hard quality anymore, but some of those design type things too. Where, like you said, if if an alert for uh, driver assistance system is annoying to you. That can be just as bothersome as as a check engine light coming on. Right, right. Let's talk about quickly uh, for our our listeners. 
just how they should use the study. I mean, it's accessible, of course, at jdpower.com. A lot of detail there. And uh, how would you suggest that they use it as they make a purchase decision? Sure. Um, I mean, as you go looking and shopping for cars, um, if you go to our website, you can see we, we rank the cars within segments. So if you're looking for, you know, a, a compact car all the way up to a large premium SUV, you can see within that, you know, type of segment you're looking for, which of those models do the best. Um, we rank the top three that you'll be able to see on the website. So um, you can see which ones are really holding up over, uh, you know, the duration of ownership for, for, for current owners. So um, it's a great uh, resource for customers to see, you know, what what brands and models are really performing well in the industry and, and where you should really consider putting your money then if you're going to spend, you know, the type of money we were talking about. <laughs> yeah, makes sense, makes sense. Which I guess leads us to brand awards and who did particularly well uh, for 2024. Why don't you fill us in on that? Yeah, so the the, the brands that did the, the best this year were, were Lexus and Toyota were extremely strong this year. Um, you know, they're always strong in the long-term durability, but, um, you know, with some of the other automakers having a little bit of problems this year, we definitely see, you know, Lexus and Toyota on top. Um, they win nine of the segment awards. Um, overall, they get um, five for Toyota, four for Lexus. Uh, Lexus also wins the overall nameplate, so it's actually the best ranking brand in the industry. Uh, and Toyota was the best uh, ranking uh, mass market uh, brand, so non-luxury brand that took the top spot this year. So very strong year for, for Toyota. Uh, General Motors actually also receives four awards, doing well there. Um, with the uh, Traverse, Tahoe, Equinox, and Encore. Uh, we also see Kia winning for the Sedona. Uh, in the truck segments, we have the Ford Super Duty winning for the best heavy-duty pickup. Uh, BMW receives two awards for the X1 and the X6. And then the best overall uh, model in the industry this year was the Porsche 718. Um, it's the, it has the lowest number of problems overall in the industry, so that also wins the overall model award. So. And it's one of the coolest cars out there, actually. It <laughs> it's is, really a terrific it car. It's pretty impressive. So um, the problem count on that car is so low um, that there's other brands out there that have that number of problems just in one category. So the, the survey has nine categories. Um, some of them rank that poorly in infotainment. Their whole Porsche 718 is their whole category. So very, very strong performing car there. Yeah, well, that is terrific. Well, let's talk about some of the trends in the industry. Um, what's going on there? You mentioned infotainment. I think it continues to be problematic for a lot of people. Uh, it certainly is as I'm testing vehicles. Sometimes they're great, but other times very non-intuitive and hard to use. Talk about that a little bit. No, for sure. I mean, it's still the most problematic area for customers we're seeing right now in the industry. Um, it, it's actually double what any of the other categories that we sample are. So um, we actually saw a new top problem this year. So Android Auto and CarPlay connectivity became the top problem for consumers. So as more consumers are you know, using the, the software on their smartphone, on their radio, um, that connectivity is even more important. And we do see you know, that it getting worse and worse. So that was the top problem. Uh, for sure, within infotainment, voice recognition is still problematic. But as we see more of the Android Auto and, and Apple CarPlay voice rec being used, that problem actually did get better this year uh, with the offboard systems there. So, but still very highly problematic for infotainment, like you said. Yeah, I mean, as long as you can connect with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, then the voice activation works pretty well. But uh, yes, before yes, that, for it sure. doesn't. It, it seems like some manufacturers are going away from uh, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Do you think it's somewhat driven by uh, 
what what they've seen in terms of consumer reports through problems that uh, you're you're seeing? I mean, I think that is part of it. I mean, they're they're uh, you know the customers are not blaming their smartphone for the problems; they're really blaming their manufacturers. But I also see the manufacturers, you know, understanding the customers are are enjoying that experience and want to actually create an an, an in car experience that's like that. So. Um, I think they're kind of moving away that to provide, you know, a cust- their customers a customized experience that they've created for the car that goes and plays with harmony in the entire car. So, um, I-, I mean, it's a change. It's coming. Um, is that a bad thing? We'll see what happens and how customers react to it in the coming years is, is we get these manufacturers developing their own kind of systems like this. One of the things I noted too, uh, I guess from the from the release on this, is electrified vehicles are are not doing particularly well in terms of problems. And I think a lot of people expected it to be quite the opposite. That electric vehicles simpler, maybe uh, maybe more problem free. Uh, talk about that. Yeah, we're definitely seeing the electric vehicles right now having a little more problems. Um, you got to remember these are three year old vehicles, so we're at twenty twenty one model year. So it's where a lot of these are just being introduced more um, and manufacturers are still really learning. Obviously, Tesla is also the predominant electric vehicle at this point. So um, definitely seeing more problems, but that's also because there's a lot more technology on these cars right now, what we're seeing um, than a lot of other brands. So as you have more technology, obviously people have more problems with it. We also see these people are more apt to use that technology in their car. So they're, they're willing to try all these features that they've introduced, like the smartphone app and, and things like that. So, um, you know, there are more problems, but it, it can be explained by additional technology that we're seeing on the vehicles. Yeah. Kind of like if you have more stuff in your house, you have more stuff that goes wrong. Right? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> we kind of see that a lot. Another one I thought was kind of interesting here is the fact that uh, driver assistance systems that are, are annoying continue to be annoying and maybe get even more annoying <laughs> over time. I mean, I think a lot of the the sense is, well, maybe we, people get used to it, but it's not the case, is it? Yeah, no. A lot of times when we're talking to manufacturers about those results, uh, especially at our 90-day study, because we, we sample the customers at 90 days and three years, when we hear it 90 days, a lot of them say, oh, the customer will get used to it. You know, it's a new car. They just got to get used to these new features. And what we saw this year is when we looked at the 90-day customers to the three years of customers, it's not the case. They're not getting used to it. Um, you know, they, it's been chiming at them for three years now. And if the chime is annoying or going off when it's not supposed to, you know, at this point, it's even more annoying than, you know, that 90-day experience. So that, definitely customers are not getting used to it and are are reporting more problems in the long run than in the short term. Were there anything, uh, any items, any uh, areas that uh, were particularly surprising to you or kind of running true to true to form uh, as you've seen it over time? No, there was, there was one thing that really caught us by surprise and that was the increase in check engine lights this year in the industry. Um, all but four brand corporations get worse for their check engine lights this year. So <laughs> something that you would think, you know, like I said, we don't see cars breaking down on the side of the road like we used to. So the fact that, you know, we saw a large increase in check engine light rates go up this year um, was really surprising. Um, also, the rate of deterioration. So we look at, you know, how many problems customers have at 90 days versus three years. Um, that rate of problem increase actually went up this year. Um, so we were looking at about a, a 12% increase in problems from 90 days to three years last year. We're up to a 17% increase this year. So 
Um, definitely more problems going on in the industry and definitely unique problems that you wouldn't expect to hear getting worse, like check engine lights. Am I right that these vehicles that you're uh, surveying here were built during COVID times? Does that have any kind of effect, do you think? Yeah, so we're going just out of out of COVID at this point with these. So we definitely do see some, you know, lingering COVID effect, especially for the customers. I mean, if you think about it, um, you know, parts were still difficult at dealerships. So if there was a problem with their vehicle, getting it in for service, you know, the parts might not have been available. Um, I mean, also we had service tech issues. You know, we couldn't get a ton of people working in the shops at this point. So, um, you know, it, it just took a longer time to get service. Uh, we also had gas prices at an all-time high during this period for customers. So um, definitely a unique um, ownership period for customers, to say the least, uh, these past three years that these customers have had these cars. Right. I, I think one thing I saw, I, it might have been in IQS, it might have been in uh, vehicle dependability last year, was difficulty with door handles. Uh, you know, <laughs> things that are, you think, hey, that's a no-brainer. We know how a door handle works, but uh, there was some problems with that. Have you seen things like that this time around? Not so much yet. In I mean, it'll be interesting to see as we see some of that new technology go into the three years, how it works. Um, like you said, there was issues at 90 days with those pop-out door handles. So, I mean, you can imagine if customers are having problems with them just at the 90-day point, how is that going to work at three years? Are they still going to be as robust as, as they were at three years? So it'll definitely be interesting in the coming years to see how some of these new technology things that have been introduced on these cars are going to hold up in the long run. Right, right. Uh, anything else you think consumers should know about uh no, I mean, I think definitely it's it's just, you know, be be well informed on what's going out there. It's definitely a, a changing time in the industry. So, I mean, make sure if you're going to go out and invest in a new vehicle, you've done your research and making sure it's something that's going to hold up for you in the long run. Yeah. Well, it makes sense to go to jdpower.com, jdpower.com and check that out and check out the vehicle dependability study. Well, Frank Hanley, thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. Thanks as always. And that was our interview with J.D. Power's Frank Hanley, a very knowledgeable guy about vehicle dependability, that is certain. And, you know, when all is said and done, it really comes back to dependability, doesn't it, Chris? It does, yeah. You know, you're spending so much money on a car these days. Uh, you want to make sure that you're not only getting your money's worth, but that it's going to stand the test of time. Uh, you know, people like me, I'm sure this is not you, but people like me fly through cars, you know, on a regular basis. But uh, people like my wife and like other people keep vehicles for several, several years. So uh, dependability is a big, big part of that. It's interesting, too, how they look at dependability. They look at uh, problems, the uh, same kind of problems that they look at uh, on brand new vehicles and just they seem to pile up a little bit more over time. And I think one thing that was interesting to me too was that people don't get used to some of these systems we think they might get used to. In fact, I think they get more irritated by them and uh, I can understand that that could happen. How about you? Yeah, it's interesting looking at the problems that people experience early on in the ownership process or the ownership timeline. Yeah. And sometimes they, if they're irritated by something initially, they're still irritated three years later. <laughs> it hasn't gotten any better. They haven't. Yeah, that is so. true. So that's interesting, too. Well, when we come back, we will answer a question or two from our listeners. So stay with us for that. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. This team, Jack Nerad, back with you for our final segment of the day, our listener question segment and I, I think i'll dive right into this listener question because we don't have a ton of time here 
Uh, this is from Sean in Livermore, California. This is what he says. I was really close to buying a Kia EV6, but then a guy I know who owns a Tesla said I should definitely install a home charging system. When I had an estimate for that, they said it would cost something like $5,000. Should I go ahead and do it? Well, I'm faced with actually the same situation here at my house. It's a very old, my house is of 244 years old, and we have to upgrade a lot of the, the electrical systems here. But uh, I will say this, if you're considering buying an electric vehicle, and I don't know what the charging situation is in Livermore, California, but here I would not recommend somebody buying an electric vehicle without also having a home charger because of the sporadic nature of the public charging system here. Um, and I also don't know what California's incentives are, Jack. You may be able to answer this better, but uh, I would assume there is some sort of tax incentive for installing a home charging station. So uh, you may not be faced with the entire impact of that $5,000. But um, yeah, if, you, if you're if you dead set on buying an EV, I would say home charger is uh, one of the things you got to consider. Yeah, I would say more than consider it. I say probably uh, if you possibly can to go ahead and spend that $5,000. I mean, that is kind of a sunk cost though. I mean, as you say, there might be some incentives, uh, even local incentives beyond California incentives uh, to do that. Maybe even your utility in Livermore would uh, help pick up the cost for that. But uh, I w uh, the ability to charge at home kind of changes the dynamic of having an electric vehicle. Without that, if you're relying on public charging, it's going to cost you more. Your cost to own is going to be higher. And the hassle <laughs> uh, just situation is going to be so much higher. It's probably 100% higher. So uh, that's my take on that. 5000 bucks. Maybe you can roll it into the car loan. <laughs> There's a good financial decision, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, but it would it does actually improve the value of your home. Our our home appraiser said you know a lot of people are looking for these things today. So uh, there are multiple benefits if you can afford the the payment. Right, absolutely true. Well, if you are online at all and go to Amazon, you might check out my latest book, Dance in the Dark. It's a crime thriller inspired by true crime. Uh, <laughs> so look for that at Amazon, Dance in the Dark by Jack Nerat and. Uh, Remember, our show is available as a podcast, so look for it on your favorite podcast outlet. Uh, we'd like to thank our stations for carrying America on the Road. And most of all, thanks to you for listening to America on the Road. And please join us again next time right here for another edition of America on the Road. Inner Peace. Self-respect, emotional fulfillment. Are you finding these worthwhile goals difficult to achieve? Are you looking for success and satisfaction in your job but not finding it? Are you thinking about starting a business but don't know what will set it apart from all the others? You can continue to struggle on your own or you can unleash the undeniable power of the GR factor. I'm Jack Arney Red, host of America on the Road. For years, I've found success in business and in my personal life by using the concepts I outlined clearly in my book, the GR Factor. Your best self is inside you right now, just waiting to be unleashed. Inspiring all that is the best in you, the GR Factor will guide your journey, elevate your game, recast your relationships, and transform your daily life. If you want to change your life for the better, read The GR Factor. It's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and at emlancy.com. That's The GR Factor by Jack Arney Red. Thanks for checking it out. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. 
And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.